Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, providing contractors, home builders, and many others with superior quality roofing products. My name is Eric Smith. Across from me is Mr. Donnie Blanchard, general contractor. Donnie's not only a general contractor, he's the owner of SureTop Roofing. And what we do here on the show is talk about houses, uh, talk about building houses and repairs, DIY projects. Start off at the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can get information there, including downloads to past shows. We've got them all in podcast form and dozens and dozens and dozens of shows. And they're organized by the subject. So if you have a specific thing about your house or something you want to listen to, you can find it that way. We're also on social media. And then we also have a little feature called Ask the Contractor. And that's Donnie's wheelhouse. If you have a question about your house, the roof, the basement, the inside, the outside, go ahead and submit your question there at the website and Donnie will answer them. And he likes to return those answers to you, but sometimes we do special shows. And if we have enough time and later today, we will answer some of those questions. I got a couple stories real quick, Donnie, and I want to start off with one that I need your input on, and that's going to be about roofers. Last week, I was at home and I get a knock on the door gentleman hands me his card and he says, hi, I'm with so-and-so roofing company. I'm not going to name the company. They were not local, but they came in and said, hey, we were canvassing the area. He used that term canvassing. There was three or four other men knocking on doors too. And he said, your roof has some damage from the recent storms and we want to talk to you about getting it replaced. Well, I kept this to myself, but my first thought was, There's been no storms in my neighborhood for two years. There's been afternoon thunderstorms and stuff, but no hail, no winds, no tropical storms, nothing that I'd have damage for. And as I kept talking to him, I kind of realized that he didn't know much about roofing in general because I mentioned GAF and having a master elite installer like you, Donnie, with SureTop Roofing and the warranties. And I said, yeah, GAF even has warranties of up to 50 years. And he goes, 50 years? I've never heard of that. That was the other alarm. Someone came up unsolicited, said I had to have my roof replaced and they would file the insurance claims and they would take care of it. Are you ready to do the paperwork? I wasn't so sure if that was legal or not even to do that. So what's your opinion on that, Donnie? It is illegal to canvas without a permit. And in most uh, cases or most municipalities, you can go to the town and just ask them if they allow that in general. But there are a lot of uh, people who don't allow the canvassing and they treat that like solicitation and don't allow people to come knock on your door. The problem with that is there aren't enough people to police this thing. So the insurance companies obviously don't like this because this is what storm chasers do. And they may knock on a hundred doors and they may get two roofs out of it, which is, I guess, worth it when you're paying those folks by the hour. But I love the story because it's a good representation of what you get if you go with somebody who's not local. And local folks, we don't knock on doors and it's not a pride issue. It's just the fact that we're local and we have enough work where we don't have to do anything like that. And I I don't feel like it's a good business approach. I don't think it's on the up and up at all because they're telling you that you have damage just to get a shot to go up on your roof. And in most cases, they don't even go up there. They just tell you that you need to file the claim and it's a shot in the dark, but two out of a hundred people may bite. The problem there is that the contract that they get you to sign is what we always harp on as a contingency agreement. And I'm not a fan. Not all contingency agreements are bad. And a lot of times they protect the roofer. But the intention of these folks is to get you to sign something that locks you into a contract with them. So should the insurance company pay, 
then they are locked into the job. Important to note in North Carolina, even if you do sign a contingency agreement and they're very high pressure and you do commit to that agreement with these folks, you have three days to back out of that legally in North Carolina. And there's some information on these folks if you want to read a little further. It's on the NCDOJ website. I think it's ncdoj.gov. But the attorney general just lists out everything we just talked about and, and basically describes it as a scam. And important to know there's an 877 number that you can call. So if these folks show up in your neighborhood or you specifically have the name of the roof company, you can call one eight seven seven the number 5 and no scam. So eight seven seven five no scam is the number to report these folks. Very good. Well, I kind of wondered about that. I knew I should ask somebody who's in the roofing business. One other thing I read about this week before we get on today's topic was in Colorado, one of the electric company providers, utility providers is called Excel. And homeowners had the opportunity to volunteer to have this company put thermostats in their home. And that would allow the electric company, again, in this case, Excel, to adjust the thermostat during high energy demand. So you thought, hey, if I'm not home and my thermostat's at 72 and they want to adjust it so they can lower the energy uses during peak times, great. Well, last week, Excel went into these 22,000 homes remotely who have these remote thermostats and adjusted the thermostats to 78 or 79 degrees and then they lock them from being overridden. In the past, if you were a homeowner, you could override it if they had taken control and just say, no, I want it to be 72. They locked it and said it was due to an energy emergency. There may have been a legit reason. A substation may have caught fire or there's something going on where they had to do it. But it was, okay, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. It also says an energy company, a government would have the ability to control things like your thermostat, your energy usage remotely by just hitting a switch and you can't do anything about it. It is kind of interesting that the things we let government or other companies have involvement with us in our lives, including our literal thermostat on the wall, can also take control of it and not let you make any adjustments. Spooky or am I just uh, crazy, Donnie? No, I think it's very spooky, and I think we're going to see more things in this direction because, like we talked about, just to accommodate electric vehicles alone, the power grid would have to be upgraded to the tune of 40%. So when you look at those big numbers and and just how much more electricity is going to be consumed – I don't think they have a choice but to ration electricity in other ways, like, you know, what's going to your home. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of production that they have to come up with in a faster manner than they can increase these power plants. So I just think we're going to see more of this energy rationing. And I, I'm pretty sure they had this up their sleeve for a while now. And, and you know, hopefully it doesn't hit our area. But um, I, I think that they don't have a choice if they're going to implement electric vehicle everything. All right, let's jump into today's subject, Donnie, because this one is definitely in your wheelhouse. But it kind of occurred to me, if you're going to build a house today, you're going to need a home builder. And there's a lot of questions that you want to ask before you hire your home builder. So that's the theme. Questions you must ask a home builder before you hire. So Donnie's going to be, we mentioned guinea pig. He'll be our test. I'll kind of be like the, the subject or the client, I'm sorry, of, of this test. And Donnie will answer the questions. But even before I, as a potential customer of yours, Donnie, a home builder, you're actually the one that's going to have some questions first. You, you need to know something about the project. What are those things before 
we really get into a, a deep conversation. Yes, sir. Um, well, the first thing you want to ask is how many members they have in their family, things like what square footage you're looking for. And usually I can provide a good uh, rounded price per heated square foot so they can they can kind of get a budget number in mind. Beyond that, you know, the lot and the lot size come into play. The zoning, you have to have a lot that's zoned for residential or at least a mixed use zoning before you can get started. So there are a lot of things up front that will dictate everything from the size of the house and just how you go about it, where that's positioned on the lot and things like that have to be squared away up front. And of course, the environmental health folks often dictate well and septic if you're not on city water and sewer. A lot of these uh, custom builds now, because most of the cities are packed out where they don't have a lot of open lots, uh, I would say 90% of what I see for custom builds are in the county area. So well and septic are a thing and uh, environmental health is, is that very first channel that you have to go through. All right. So my first question is a Wanting someone who wants a home build and you being the builder, Donnie, should I ask you for testimonials and can I even tour a home that you may have built? Uh, absolutely for me. So I have good relationships with everybody I've ever worked for. Usually I have something really similar. So if somebody comes to me with a plan or they email me a link and say, hey, we kind of like something like this. I usually have something similar in size with a similar exterior. So there's no substitute for touch and feel. So I, I like to send folks out to houses. And uh, one thing that, that I've won some people over with here recently is we did a beautiful house in Burlington and it has um, board and batten siding, but it's vinyl and you have to really get up close to it and touch it to tell that it's not the fiber cement or hardy, as we call it, just a fraction of the cost. And it looks really good. So uh, that's one thing that a lot of people like, as opposed to the Dutch lap or just regular horizontal lap vinyl siding. And I'll say this, it's a good indicator of character for that builder. So if he has a good enough relationship to call that homeowner and send another potential homeowner by there and allow those people to talk and converse, uh, that says a lot about him. So if he doesn't have good relationships with homeowners, then the answer to this question is probably going to be no. But I think this is a good way to lead off if you're trying to find out who you're going to use as a GC. All right. Question number two, what is the builder homeowner relationship through the process? In other words, Donnie, would I get to talk to the builder or will it go through somebody else? It depends on what kind of builder he is. A lot of these uh, builders are track builders. So, of course, the owner, you're never going to meet anybody who's really in charge. Um, you just kind of have to go up the ladder there. But uh, in my case, I've been blessed to be, I call it a forever house builder, because uh, just about every house I have under construction, you know, they don't plan on selling it. It's their final rest in place. I, I think that's a heck of a compliment. But um, yeah, I feel like if they pay for my service, then they get me. But there are a lot of people uh, in town. And you know, of course, they have layers of superintendents, project managers, and you really never get to talk to the builder unless there's a major problem. But um, it's a little different. I try to take on a modest amount of work so that I can give each homeowner an hour a day if that's what we need. And, and in a custom house, just uh, let's face it, that, that requires at least an hour a day or two hours a day of attention per house just to keep things on the road, the selection process. And there's just a lot to talk about when the process gets going. And this is the Carolina Contractor Show. Today's topic is questions you must ask a home builder before you hire them. And of course, we've got General Contractor Donnie Blanchard answering these questions for us. The next one, is it okay to ask a builder if they've been sued or what their financial standing is like? I think in this day and time, it's absolutely okay. And um, a legal issue with a builder, that's one of those things that he has to disclose every year when he 
renews his contractor license. That's one of the questions on the renewal is if you've had any kind of legal action taken against you and you have to answer that question honestly or you could lose your license. So uh, I think it's a very important question to ask. And and if there has been a legal issue, you'd like to know what that is. But most people on handshake deals are are not going to have any kind of legal action unless there's just a complete con man on the other end of the uh, deal. But I would say that's a question that most builders are going to say, no, they haven't had any legal trouble because I would like to think that most people do the right thing in those circumstances. But uh, in terms of the financial standing, that's an important thing because Oftentimes, me as a builder, I'll have to float a portion of uh, the house to keep the subs and suppliers paid. The bank draws don't always come through percentage-wise to pay for everything that's going on on the house. So, yeah, having a, um, a financially stable builder is another part of that equation that I think is very important. Okay, kind of tying into this, how do you verify if they've got their licenses and insurance? Because a general contractor is not just a title you give to yourself. You have to be right educated and go through training and get a license for it. What do you do? Yep. So you can check their license. Uh, if you go to nclbgc.gov or you can just search the word North Carolina general contractors and it will take you to that site, but you can just enter their name in right there and search to see if they're active number one and to see their license limitation number two. So not many houses now cost less than a half million dollars. I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of them do, but in these custom homes that I'm, I'm building, you know, it's hard to get one in there for under 500000 which is the uh, limitation for a limited license. There are three categories, and limited being the first one, you can build up to a half million. Uh, intermediate, you can build up to 750000 and we're unlimited, so we can build anything we want, basically north of a million uh, or what have you. So uh, the license limitation is an important thing because you don't want to get halfway through this process and then the, the house costs 600000 and you realize that your builder only has a limited license to do that. All right. Next question I have for you, Donnie, before I hire you as my builder. Can I supply my own plan? What is your recommendation on that? Yep. We gave the same recommendation, I think, on a question show not long ago. So um, I always steer people towards a local architect and an engineer. Number one, it's going to be uh, a much better plan than what you get online because it actually flows and functions uh, like it's supposed to. And you can get your hands on the on the designer. So if there's a change that needs to be made in that area, they can do that pretty easy. And uh, the most important thing is the house plans you buy online, rather. Uh, they're built or they're designed to be built anywhere in the country, meaning the foundation is going to be majorly overdrawn. So they're they're accounting for the soil in Florida when they draw this foundation plan. So oftentimes uh, what happens is uh, we'll get the plan from an online uh, architect and we have to send that to the local engineer and he'll redraw all the foundation uh, plan to, to meet the local specs. And that saves thousands of dollars on masonry and concrete there. Uh, another important thing to note is that they draw these plans to be built usually in a subdivision. So they're kind of, uh, you can get a, a long wide house if you go into lake house plans or basement house plans. But uh, the fact that they do the foundation uh, engineering differently than what we would locally, and the fact that these are usually designed to be built on tight lots, it kind of puts you in a box. You know, you don't have the flexibility. Uh, whereas if you get a local engineer and architect, you can kind of give them an idea of what you're looking for, bedroom size and layout, and just let them run with it. And not only do you get the foundation plan engineered the right way the first time, they give you, of course, the ceiling and the roof plan that you have to have for the permit application. So uh, those are things that, that you'll all have to spend money on either way. The stuff that I see come from online architects usually has the foundation plan and maybe an electrical plan. They usually don't get into the engineering of the ceiling and the roof. So like I mentioned, you're going to have to take that plan to an engineer and spend a couple thousand dollars more when you can just get it all in one fell swoop if you go to the engineer architect 
combo in the beginning. Excellent. And now we come to the part about money and houses, like you said, are it's hard to build one now for under half a million dollars. So you're going to have to go to a bank. Can you assist me with financing questions between me and the bank? Not really uh, on financing questions between the homeowner and the bank. That's kind of all their personal information gets uh, put through the bank's vetting process to see what they qualify for. Uh, one thing I can do is just steer people towards the right bank. Some banks are much easier to work with through the construction process in terms of getting your draws and just how friendly they are with the contractor. Some banks basically want a general breakdown of the construction process by the trade, but most of the time I only have to provide the contract. Uh, important question when you do approach a bank about this is if you allow uh, fixed contracts only because we do a cost plus in most cases and some banks frown on that but now with materials you know subcontractor labor everything's all over the place and very volatile price wise a cost plus is really the only way to do it you know i could price a house really high just to cover my rear end but if i come in under budget then that money goes in my pocket and i just don't feel good about that so uh, I've had everybody be really receptive to the fact that these cost plus contracts are the way to go because it's completely open book budget. You can see every dime spent. And uh, if we save on the big budget, then that money goes back to the homeowner, not the contractor. Okay. Now it's getting into the fun stuff, Donnie, when you're <laughs> getting a, a builder and having your own house made is you've got the plans. They've been engineered correctly. They're ready to go. You've got the financing from the bank. How much time before I can move into my house? So what is the realistic time frame and how does that affect the the cost of the construction? Realistically, there's really hard to give time frames right now. I mean, it shouldn't take any longer to build any longer than a year to build a really big custom home. We have a, a you know million dollar lake home that's going to take every bit of 12 months to build that thing. But I also have some smaller houses that. Um, you know, in the 1500 to 2000 square foot range that, you know, we can fly through those in five or six months should be adequate to, to get a CO on those. But one thing that dictates that is, is each trade takes a lot longer on a bigger house. So the plumber may be able to get in and out in two days on the 1500 square foot house where he'll be a week and a half on the rough ends for the uh, larger home just because there's that much more to do. There's so many more bathrooms. So, uh, it, it really, the size of the house and, uh, and just how custom it is really impacts your ability to uh, finish it in, in good fashion time-wise. So I would just say that six months on a smaller house is very reasonable. On a uh, medium house, I'd say eight to nine months. And then on the larger homes, you need every bit of a year. Uh, that's a good question to ask the bank when you go for the loan, because I'll say that that one of the banks, I have three loans through right now. They gave 12 months on all their construction loans. They went through a period where they started to frown on construction loans. They've completely frozen those now. I got these three homeowners in at 3.25 before the interest rate went up. But they basically put a hold on all new construction loans. So uh, timeline-wise, they bumped that number down to nine months, which just isn't realistic. And I've made my homeowners aware of that. But um, they're doing everything they can to try to squeeze the new construction loans to do the minimum amount possible. Donnie, we got to put this house somewhere. So I know nothing about land. If I might find an area that I want to move to, can you help me find land to build a house? Yes. And and. I'm tied in around the county. I grew up uh, in my local county, so I kind of know who has what lots and in what school district they're available. And uh, But in some cases, the builders will just buy and hold lots. So when you come to them, they'll say, hey, I've got X, Y, and Z to choose from. Uh, let's see what kind of house you're looking for. Let's see what lot size fits you and your family best. But 
I would say a better option is to contact a realtor. The realtors can tap into the MLS and they even know of off market deals in some cases that uh, you can get on before they're they're published on the MLS. So I would say that if you have a realtor that you trust, the seller of the land would pay the realtor fee. So basically, you have nothing to lose by putting that realtor on a land search and just letting them do their job. I think the, the options will be multiplied exponentially if you go that route. Are there any other things we need to know about the land and the lot before we start digging? Yeah, just a handful of things that you need to check on. Um, setback requirements, that that's important when you pick a plan, because if you pick a plan that's on a narrow lot, it may not jive. I think the setback requirements on most municipalities are 10 foot from the side lot. So you'll need to have a house. If your lot is, say, 80 feet wide, you would have to have a house no wider than 60 to accommodate those setbacks. Um, zoning issues uh, could be a thing. The zoning for the lot that you buy needs to have the letter R in front of it. In most cases, usually you'll see an R6, which means you can put no more than six houses per acre there, and which is plenty. I don't, I don't know of anybody who would want a lot any smaller than that, but usually R6 is what you see. Um, from a utility standpoint, I would say that finding out if natural gas is available, because uh, I'm, while I'm an advocate for all the electric you can get, uh, I would say that natural gas on the tankless water heaters is something that, that I would be in favor of that and maybe a gas fireplace. Propane, LP, whatever you call it, is awful expensive. And while those two have have gotten closer in price over the years, natural gas is still much more affordable. A surveyor is somebody that you're probably going to have to get involved. If you're buying a track of land that's a part of a bigger parcel, then you'll have to have a surveyor cut that out. And there's some legal work to do there. But usually that's done by the seller. It just needs to be brought to their attention that uh, what you're proposing will need to be uh, done by them in the contract. The dirt, soil, that would be the biggest thing. Uh, if you're in the county and you have to have a septic tank, you want to know if that soil perks. So percolation test is something that environmental health does, and you have to fill out an application. You have to pay a fee for them to go out. And that could sometimes take you know three to four months, especially in my local municipality. They stay so far behind. I would say that the land purchase should be contingent on passing the perk test. So that needs to be in the contract. And then Lastly, I would say if you do buy a lot in a subdivision, you want to be aware of what the uh, homeowner association is like and if there are any restrictive covenants. Something kind of popped in my head, Donnie. Uh, we know the house is being built and I'm paying for that, but what are the other things included? Like, does that include the driveway? Uh, yes. So in most cases, it does. If you have a long winding driveway in the country, of course, we break that out as kind of an allowance thing because you don't know what the excavation is going to cost when it's just raw land. And you also, it's hard to say you know, how many loads of gravel it's going to take. So we normally do an allowance system on stuff like that. It, it just varies by the house. If you have to have a well and a septic, of course, we put that on an allowance as well. But uh, when the interest rates were low, especially, I tried to get all that in the loan that I could because that just benefits the homeowner for them to finance those big ticket items. We realize, Donnie, that the budgets can kind of change. There can be issues with the house as you're going through the building process that could affect the final price. What's the best way to keep up with a budget throughout the process of building this house? Well, one thing that I do is I just do an open book budget because it's a cost plus job. I want the homeowners to see where their money's going. So we give a weekly report. And and basically uh, what I've seen from this strategy is it keeps everybody friends in the end. So this has been really good because I think that one thing that causes a relationship between homeowner and contractor to go south is if the contractor is very private about all the money spent because ultimately that makes the homeowner suspicious is if he is cutting a corner or if there's fi- if he's finding a way to put more money in his pocket versus 
what was discussed initially. So I think that just having the open book budget with a cost plus is, is the most fair way to do it. Again, this is the Carolina Contractor Show. You can go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com to learn more about the show. And what we're talking about today is questions you must ask a home builder before you hire them. And Donnie's a general contractor and has currently got several houses under construction. So these are questions he gets and it's questions you should ask if you're going to build your own house. Ask the builder these things as you you get into the process of finding one. And another question is, can I make changes after you start building the house, after construction begins, Donnie? So I know a lot of builders, and I'm a subcontractor and a general contractor, so I work for builders, which helps me in the big picture because I see the expectations that uh, that I have for subcontractors, and I try to meet those expectations for my builders. And I think it, it works, uh, as long as they don't look at me like competition, then it's worked out for me so far. But some builders are fanatics about making any kind of changes and they really freak out on you and make you sign all kind of paperwork and they charge you for any little thing. And I, I've just never felt good about that. So if it's a major change order, we have to back up and punt. Yes, then we need to talk about that and maybe put something in place on paper or at least via email just to protect both of us. But um, my philosophy on that, especially if being a custom home builder, is that in most cases, yes, you're going to have to make changes after the construction starts because sometimes you need to see things in place before that change will come to mind. And, and you know, things like header heights or um, just the way that the room is laid out and you go in there and maybe use a piece of chalk or spray paint and you spray paint your furniture out. You know, some things may need to be changed during the framing phase. And my philosophy is that's the time to do it. All right. The last question I got for you, Donnie, as you being a general contractor and a subcontractor and building houses is the house is done. There's a big red bow on the front door. You hand me the keys. I go in. I have housewarming parties and people bring us gifts and say welcome. And then I notice maybe a couple small things. Maybe a door's not shutting correctly or I've got an issue with uh, the HVAC vent. Is that something that will be a warranty that you, the builder, will come back and fix if they show up later? Yes, absolutely. And I think a big key here is just having reputable subcontractors. So my sub base, I always say that they're the strongest they've ever been. And I just have the most wonderful subs. So when people crab about not having good people or labor shortage, I just kind of keep quiet because my guys are the best. And the reason I, I deal with these these folks with the good reputations is, is for that reason. So, you know, if there is a heating and air warranty issue, then they usually show back up the next day and they're just very reliable. So I think that that's a big part of the process. But yes, usually the relationship is the right word more so than the warranty because maintaining Maintaining that good relationship with a good builder, good homeowner combo. You know, if somebody has a problem, you you feel morally obligated to go out there and take care of it. And um, I think that's a, a definitely an advantage of using a custom builder versus a track builder because to them, you're just a number. And again, it was great to have Donnie, who's on the show every week, but to kind of play the part of what he is, a builder and a general contractor, to talk about questions you might have before you hire someone to build your house because it's a huge investment. So we'll put this information up on the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Again, we've got links to past shows. You'll be able to download this show in a podcast form. But if you're in the position of getting ready to consider building a house, you've got to get a builder. Ask these questions. No builder should be afraid of answering them for you. And with an investment like this, you've got to make sure you get things done right and have the best builder on hand that's available for you to get. And uh, Donnie, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com.
Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTop Roofing. That's SureTopRoofing.com.